we are really glad that you're here. Um, and if this is our, if this is your first time here, I know that sometimes it's, it's difficult walking into uh, a new place where it feels like you may not be, or you, you might be the only person that doesn't know someone else. Um, and so if that is, that is the case, uh, first of all, I just want to say I know how much courage it takes to walk through a new place. You're not alone. We love you. Uh, you stick around um, long enough, we'll love you, and you'll, you'll feel that um, in your bones, I hope. The other thing, too, is something that Kathy said, um, a phrase that we use a lot around here, is this notion that we're just walking each other home, that at the end of the day, the spiritual life is not information that we believe. It really is an encounter with God that we um, are um, attempting to have, attempting to at least create places in our lives that we're noticing that more, um, that we're more aware. And so um, it really is uh, a part of a type of spirituality that we're talking about kind of second half of life spirituality or how do we mature, how do we grow. As I've said over and over again, the map of faith that you have been given as a child will run out on you someday. That doesn't mean that the map of God is over. It just means what you've been given is limited. And so often when we come to the second half of life, we feel disoriented. Um, and often we can look at, as we say in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, we can compare each other's outsides by our insides. And when we do that, we just feel kind of crappy. Uh, I'm sure there's a psychological term for it, but... Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, 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 crappy is a good psychological term. Uh, and, and, and I had a mentor that used to say all the time that, uh, that comparison really is the thief of joy. It just kills joy. And so what we're attempting to do here is to realize um, that, um, that each of us, um, as the playwright, um, um, there's a playwright right, that I just really love that says that we are all bro born broken. We live by mending. God's grace is the glue. We're all born broken, folks. <laughs> um, and the only way to, to mend is to live. Right? The only way to mend is just to kind of show up and live. And um, I really think at the end of the day, God's grace is, um, is the glue. So we're going to listen to scripture this, uh, this morning. Um, and Gary has a text that's out of Romans 8. This is the, this is the Apostle Paul. I um, have... Um, I'm using the message. The message is uh, a translation from Eugene Peterson that puts a lot of, it just puts it a modern vernacular and, and kind of um, uh, words that I find uh, when I'm reading the Bible to be really helpful. So, um, Gary, I don't have, I forgot to put it on my text this morning, so you're, you're it. Don't mess us up. Okay. On. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, the text is from Romans 8. Uh, that's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, 
It's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, in the waiting God's Spirit is right alongside helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is working into something good. Thanks, Gary. Um, I want you to find a partner, uh, someone that you uh, maybe don't know that great. So if you came in with a spouse or, or you know what, I don't care. Crap. <laughs> Everybody stand up and find a partner. <laughs> We're not going to square dance. All right. Now, I, I do have... Hang on just a second. <laughs> okay, once you have a partner... Yes. If you don't have a partner, <laughs> it's got to be twos. If, you have, if you're in threes, we got a three here. Everybody got twos? Okay, everybody listen up. Everybody listen. Everybody listen. Okay. If you can find a, a partner not in threes or fours, some of y'all are breaking into fives or sixes. <laughs> it's a partner, if you can. Um, I want you to stand as close to toe-to-toe -to -toe as you can. Um, and and not, not, I just, I, I, want, I want you to be able to see each other. Okay. All right. And then, everybody listen, and then this is the question. This is the question. Now, I want you to be as vulnerable as you can, but don't be creepy about it. Don't, don't, um, if something is, uh, in this question is, feels really weighted in a way that's really painful, you don't have to share that right now. Um, share something that you feel is safe enough that also stretches you a little, Okay. Um, that you might want to show yourself to someone else a little. Um, if you just want to go there and it's not creepy and it's, uh, you're ready to go, then go. Um, but um, what is something that you are up against this week that you're afraid that you do not have the resources? Um, what is something that you're up against this week that you don't feel like you have either the emotional, spiritual, monetary, material resources? Um, in your life. So spend uh, about three minutes um, uh, collectively. Let one person go and then the other person go. You don't have to explain it. Just, just uh, lay it out there. Is your microphone still It on? is. You go okay. first, Joe. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. 
All right. Do we have a sound guy back there? Can I have some more sound? Thank you. All right. Here's the, uh, here's the next question. Here's the next question. I want you to, um, I feel like Jim Jackson right now. I, uh, <laughs> Because I think this is how tall he is. <laughs> or I, maybe you. I kind of feel like you. All right. Wow. This is kind of nice. Uh, um, okay, let's just presuppose for a second. Let's just, let's, let's just enter into this like, crazy fantasy land that God actually exists. Okay? Because uh, there's some of us in this room that come by kind of being a a Christian agnostic pretty, uh, um, pretty naturally. When we're up against things that we don't know where the resources are come, we feel like we are the only resource. Can I get an amen? amen? Let's just like fantasize for a second that God really sees you like the scripture says, cares about you, isn't going to leave you in the lurch. And if you in the economy of God could say, God, this is what I need. Or maybe God would even tell you what you need. Maybe you don't even know what you need. Um, what would that resource uh, be given to you today? What resource would be placed in your hand to be able to step into this week and what you're up against um, in a new way? What would that resource be? So toe-to-toe, uh, -to -toe, and let's go a couple more minutes. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Can I have your attention? I, it, this should work. All right. All right. In the next. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Can I have your attention? Let's let's wrap it here just for a second. If this is your first time, we don't do this all the time. It's not a, it's not a make-out session every Sunday, I promise. <laughs> okay. Um, now, the last 30 seconds, and I mean this, 30 seconds. I want you to pray for the other person by name. And I just want you to ask God, divine presence, the power that is greater than ourselves, the Rio Bajo Rio, the river that's underneath the river of our anxiety that sustains the one that set the foundations of the world in place. The one that said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That one. That energy. That presence. I want you to pray that whatever that person needs, they get this week. And I don't want you to go Holy Spirit knock them in the head prayer. I just, I just, I mean, you can go for that, but we don't have, it's 30 seconds. I just want you to ask divine presence to be present in a way that that person can receive it. Does that make sense? All right, go. Okay, all right. Let's go ahead and be seated. I don't... All right. Let's go ahead and come back together. Here's a... Here's my commitment. I'm going to get us out of here every week at 1045 because I know we got kids picked up. So we've got um, we got some ground to cover this morning. Um, but let me ask this. Um, how was that? 
revealing, good, felt like Ted Lasso, <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. felt intimate, yeah. I, I think um, as a wise person said to me that I really believe that the antidote to our anxiety, to the things that we are facing, to the things, the voices inside our own heads, the story that uh, many times we can get caught up in is connection. The antidote to all of that um, is connection. And often our three in the morning selves want to figure it out in our brains. At least I do that. Um, outside of connection. And the spiritual life is always always, always um, a re restoration back to connection. The first problem that ever happened in Genesis was not sin. It's a lie you've been told. The problem is not sin, folks. The first time Yahweh ever said, uh-uh, this is not good, is when he created a solitary figure, placed him in a context, and said, hope this works out. He said, this is not good that this Ahadam, this earth creature, should be alone. And so he fashions this, this, this other earth creature. It's the first time that the word human is ever mentioned in Scripture is when there's two. And then Jesus picks this up and says, where the two or three are gathered in my name. It's connection. At the end of the day, our spiritual life comes through connection. So Ted Lasso uh, has this scene uh, in the first season where they are playing Man City. And Man City is this, like, monstrous uh, team. If you've ever, if you, you know who Man City is, they're just, uh, um, Pep is their, uh, is their, uh, uh, their coach, and, and uh, he's just an amazing coach. Um, he shows up in the third season as well, real human being, actually, and an amazing coach. Um, but they're playing uh, Man City, and they are dejected. Uh, they come to the end, they're either going to be relegated, um, and relegated, and if you don't know English football, I don't understand it either, it's a weird um, algebra, but they're relegated to a different uh, league called the Championship League, and there's a whole funny thing about that, so when you get relegated, you get relegated to the Championship League? All right, this is all, anyway, so they're on the verge of relegation, which means like less money and all this stuff, and you know, uh, um, um, and they're all really afraid. And so uh, Ted um, is walking into the um, he's walking into the uh, locker room, and we'll see what he says here. Um, I hope the sound works on this bad boy. All right, now, fellas, hey, let's focus up, huh? Can you turn it up a bit? So I've been hearing this phrase y'all got over here that I ain't too crazy about. <laughs> it's the hope that kills you. Y'all know that? I disagree, you know? I think it's the lack of hope that comes and gets you. See, I believe in hope. I believe in belief. Now, where I'm from, we got a saying too. Yeah? Uh, question, actually. Do you believe in miracles? 
Now, I don't need y'all to answer that question for me. But I do want you to answer that question for yourselves. Right now. Do you believe in miracles? And if you do, then I want y'all to circle up with me right now. Come on, let's go. Get him in here. All right, Captain, let him know. Let's go. Let's go. All right, Captain. Let them know. Pushing on 12. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, 10, 11, 12. <laughs> I love those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Richmond on 12. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's the hope that kills you. I, we lived in England for, um, for two years um, after I did my PhD and was working on a postdoc. And this is a saying. It's not just a saying. It really is a presence in the country that when, uh, particularly when England is playing, uh, uh, getting to the World Cup or any place close, there's this like, there's this like hope that's like, hey, maybe this is the time. And underneath it all is like, nobody get your hope up. It, we're all gonna be, it's all going to be dashed. And there's that deep sense, I think, that when we live in this world, um, that we're up against things that are too powerful for us. You shared with, some of you shared with people that you know well. Some of you shared with people you don't know very well. Things that you're up against that, um, that you feel like um, you might not have resources for. And we live in a world, I think, where um, hope is turned, either we do crazy things with hope uh, and we make it optimism, which is not really um, what hope is, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, or we have these voices around us, I think, in our culture that really is uh, about cynicism. I wrote this in the weekly email um, this last week, is that... Um, is that really I think what we're up against is really the choice between the practice of hope and the practice of cynicism. Um, and I want us to take a look at both of these energies in a bit because I think that they are energies in our world and they're energies in our own lives. They're energies in our relationships. They're energies in how we uh, approach things that we don't have resources for that really end up determining not maybe, I think they probably end up determining not only the outcome, but the process and by which we go through it, if that makes sense. In, in some ways, um, if I could tell you that everything was going to be okay and you still had to go through it, if you were assured it was going to be okay, you might go through it differently, Right? If, 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 if I knew, hey, listen, this is just a big character drill for you, right? Everything's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. I don't know how. It's going to be okay. How would you show up in the process? How would you show up in the thing that you're facing right now that is too much? What might you do and what resources might you have access to? And it may be just the resource... Uh, of having a friend pray with you. There's something about that, right? Just a, a friend asking God to give you what you need is a powerful resource. 
that we just leave laying on the table because we got this idea that we got to do it all by ourselves. And that nobody is as freaked out as I am about what I'm up against because you all look really good. And when we get down to it, we're just little kids that are lost in the woods. <laughs> and we find each other, and God shows up, begins to give us what we uh, deeply desire. And in this world, there's this deep sense of cynicism. Um, and um, let, me, let me tell you what cynicism is, at least uh, one of the definitions. It's a fundamental lack of faith in others' intentions, an abandonment of hope that the world can be made better, as well as a tacit acknowledgement that we're powerless to fix any of it ourselves. Dang. Like, like when I read that this week, I felt like somebody snuck up behind me and said, uh, this is how you're living right now. <laughs> At least a portion of my life, right? Like, I'm going to read this again. A fundamental lack of faith in others. I'm not going to trust you. I can only trust myself. Maybe you really don't care about me. An abandonment of hope that the world can be made better. You turned on the TV lately? <laughs> Have you gotten on Twitter or um, Instagram? As well as a tacit acknowledgement that we're powerless to fix any of this ourselves. This is what cynicism is. And when that becomes operational in our life, what ends up happening is our life becomes very small. We get what, um, oh, I don't, if you feel this inside, this constriction. And in our constriction, often we feel, um, we, act, we react rather than we act. We react in a deep sense of fear. There's not going to be enough. Man. <clears throat> I know this is going to happen. <clears throat> we react in fear or we react in anger. And so, I think that there's a couple different roads that cynicism takes us down. None of them are real fun. Cynicism is paved with shame. The road of cynicism is just paved with you're not enough. It might even be a little deeper than that. It may even be kind of like, you actually suck. And, and we have that internal voice that just is eating at us. The internal or the pavement of anger, that if it was different, if people did different things, if people just listened to me, it would make this easier. Or fear, that sense that we wake up and the ice is cracking, and that we're powerless to stop it all. Often when cynicism steps in, it becomes a mindset, it becomes something in the zeitgeist of our own life, in our own world, and I think it can affect societies, it can affect cultures, it can affect families. Um, skepticism, I was trying to figure out the difference between skepticism and cynicism. Skepticism, they say, is the ability to ask good questions. You're skeptical about something, you are curious. It has a curious tone to it. It can turn, it can turn dark, um, but it's, um, it's, it's healthy uh, when we ask tough questions. Cynicism simply ends up assuming 
that uh, the worst is going to happen and there's nothing that you can do about it. Um, and this is interesting to me is that um, cynicism often is, um, shuts down our ability to, um, to be able to hear anything new. Cynicism shuts down creativity. There's an Old Testament professor that I love, a writer um, uh, named Walter Brueggemann, and we'll talk about him in just a second. And he talks about the necessity of an imagination in our spiritual life. Is that we're in a world that shuts our imagination down, puts our faith in kind of a Harry Potter place where maybe God will show up and zap me. I'm powerless to do anything. That's not, um, that's not the spiritual life. And that um, he says often that um, the change in our life comes when we can imagine that the world could be different. We have agency about that. We begin to do that. We begin to set goals in that direction. And we begin to head in that direction amid all of the other voices that say otherwise. Um, and so cynicism stops us from hearing anything new. It's the um, fights that we get in with our partners that seem like it's lather, rinse, repeat. And we've been having the same fight, and I know what they're going to say, they know what I'm going to say, and we just, we just, um, we bring our defenses to it. And we can become cynical in those places. Shuts down the ability to hear each other, um, to be surprised by the other, to be um, 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 invited into any kind of uh, wonder. Um, neurobiologists say that once we become cynical people, that often it's uh, what's employed, what's at the front of mind, is what they call the reptilian brain. <laughs> a part of us that's the oldest part of us, that's always scanning the landscape for threat, right? Making sure that I'm going to be safe, that I can cut everything else off. Uh, I don't want to be threatened. And some of us are in that space, I think, even um, uh, this morning. I know that I was in that space uh, earlier this week and became aware of it. Um, let me tell you, I did some study on cynicism. Um, folks that uh, rate high in cynicism are three times more likely to get dementia. But that does not mean that people with dementia are, cyn are cynical people. Uh, right? Does that make sense? All right. All right. So if you're... Um, it just means that once we kind of have that mindset, there's something about um, that that is related and correlated with dementia. Uh, there's higher uh, uh, rates of early mortality, particularly related to heart disease and cancer. Um, cynical people make less money, and they think that's correlated to the lack of trust of another person, the inability to, um, um, to collaborate with folks on projects. Spend more time worried about what's going to go wrong than spending that energy and trusting the process uh, of, of, of how they might move. And I think at the end of this, what, one of the things that I get out of Ted Lasso in this clip, and really kind of like the whole first of the season, is this deep sense of the counter-narrative of hope. And let me say this, hope is a counter-narrative. Hope says that there's another energy that's present in this world besides the, the, the things that you're up against and the lack of resources that you have to meet those things, okay? Um, 
Hope um, is, is something that is particular, I think, to um, not only the human condition, but it's something as you begin to look into Scripture that is the bedrock of our faith. In the end, what Paul says, these are the three things that abide, faith, hope, and love. One of my mentors says that really it's hope that is the bridge to the other two. And that and hope has to become something um, that we end up practicing. Hope is not optimism. Optimism is, a, is a, often a time, uh, uh, it's about wishful thinking, wishing uh, maybe it wouldn't be like this, that better days are ahead, just kind of always look on the bright side of life kind of thing. Um, it's, it's a type of denial often. Uh, it can be a type of denial. Hope looks at the reality of what we're up against. Sees um, the lack of resources that we have. Our own anxiety or depression. The shaky ground of our own relationships. The way that our children are moving in this world. The things that we don't know how to share. Hope looks at that soberly. And hope then, um, in the spiritual life, becomes a practice, a set of practices that we do. Um, I I, um, um, often, in my own uh, spiritual life, in probably first half of life, and I brought it in the second half, is often I'll take these things that I'm up against, say, and I'll put them, let's just say anxiety or worry or fear. And I ask God, take this from me. Anybody ever pray that? I, I, I take this, like, like, like reach in, if, if, like if it's a menu, you know, I would say, yes, take anxiety, please, right? Take fear from me, please. And then I wait around, and fear is not taken, and so I begin to ask God, do you exist? Do you care? Do you see? And often, that has to run itself out so that um, I can, God can summons us, me, into a set of practices that begins to unweave the anxiety and the fear and the behaviors that lead me to a sense of dread. I have practiced how to get to dread. The only way out of dread is a pra- spiritual practices that lead us out of dread. And when God shows up, God says, I'm not going to take it from you. I'm going to walk with you in it. This is the example of Christ, Right? And so um, hope then becomes a set of practices and a set of spiritual practices. This is what Walter Brueggemann says about hope. Hope in the gospel, faith, um, is not just a vague feeling that things will work out, for it is evident that things will not work, just work out. Rather, hope is the conviction against a great deal of data that God is tenacious and persistent in overcoming the deathliness of the world that God intends joy and peace. I feel like I need to tattoo this on my chest so I can read it in the shower in the morning, right? Like, like it's not um, hope. This is what Walter Brueggemann is saying. It's, it's not just a vague feeling that things are going to work out. That, that's great when that happens. That's not hope. For it's evident that things will not just work out often with what we're up against. It's a conviction against a great deal of data 
when everything says that the Middle East is just going to, you know, hell to, uh, to, to hell in a handbasket kind of thing. It's, it's um, absolutely hopeless. Hope comes along and says against all of that data, there's a, a sense that God um, is up to something and that if we follow God into it, that something else will happen besides the deathliness of our own existence and the experiences that we're having. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, hope um, is not optimism, because really, what are we putting our hope in? What is our hope in? That one day it's not going to be this bad? Oh, okay. Well, we can get you some good drugs and they'll get better. I mean, is that, is that what we're doing here? So there's a change, but I don't like the feeling that I'm in. And so I want to change my feeling to a better place. I, I get it. Uh, some of us are up more than just kind of feeling stuff. It's really difficult things. Um, there, um, my, my grandmother had one of these like big chests at the end of her bed. Um, and, and there was a particular name for it. It was called a, a hope chest. And she put a lot of things in that, things that were really important to her. I have one of those. I have my great-great-grandfather's journal in there. I have my grandfather's camera in there. I have my high school wrestling singlet in there. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> um, I have things in there that bring memories to me. It's a hope chest. And so hope is not just something that hits you. It's what are we putting our hope in? And what Scripture continually says, and this is what the Old Testament and Yahweh says, put your hope in me. It is a relationship that we're putting, um, that where hope comes out of. It is this presence that's in the world and what you're up against that says the last things are never, the worst things are never the last things. That where we want to put a period, the Holy Spirit always comes and makes it into a comma. We stand in the midst of this relationship with God and we say, do you know what I'm up against? And God says, yes, and it's really hard. And I can't take it away from you, but I will walk with you in it. I will never leave you or forsake you. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil. For why? I'm with you. My rod, my staff, it will comfort you. And so hope becomes a set of practices that not it's all going to go away, but that we can show up differently in it because there is a presence of God's peace, a presence of God's sustaining mercy, a grace that meets us in the middle of that place. And we can begin to set and to do a set of practices uh, called hope. And so I think then because of that, hope is both a shield and a path. It's a shield that protects us from things. There are all these studies on, on hope talks about um, our mindsets being different, talks about really the most, um, this is really interesting for um, kids that are in school, uh, a predictor of grades, uh, of future performances of grades, hope has a better predictive outcome than past performance because it opens up something. You begin to see other pathways. You begin to realize that the end of the map that has just ended, there's another step that you can take and something else might, might be there. And because of that, um, we need each other. Because of that, what we're up against, we need to share with each other a lack of resources 
We need to be praying for each other. And then we need to encourage, encourage each other to take a step in any direction that leads towards deeper trust in God. The word encourage. Do you get it? When you're out of courage and you're with someone that is encouraging you, they are putting courage to take the next right step in you, with you. That's why we hold each other's hands. That's why we do this together. That's why hope is a set of practices. And so I don't know what you're up against this week, but I know that there is a power and a presence that will not let you go, that you can trust, that you can build with another person, and that you can begin to walk through these things together. Our hope is in the one that is before us, that loves us, that will not let us go. Frederick Buechner, this is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love and for your presence in our life. You see that what we are up against, um, that old prayer, the sea is so large and my boat is so small. You who um, command the sea to stand at peace, we'd ask that you would be that presence in our life this week. And that we would practice hope, practice a narrative, a subversive narrative that says, amid it all, you are here. And because of that, we are not out of options. Because of that, we can continue on. Because of that, we can fall into your arms of grace and love at the end of the day. Oh, come, Holy Spirit, strengthen our weary hearts. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all have a great week, and we'll see you back here next week.